Well, thanks, Frank. And I can tell you that all nine of the people on that transition team are working really hard. And uh, they're, they're very, very uh, intent and intentional on finding the right person for, for Dillon Community Church. And that is so delightful to always come every Monday night or the Monday nights that I'm there and watch this team in action. It's not without a lot of humor in that place, too. Uh, these, three, these nine people like to laugh a lot. And uh, so I look forward to those times. It's a time of uh, good feeling and, and humor and, and, uh, and uplifting, and yet, like Frank said, some real sobering times, too, where we have to really just really get down, in our, at least in our heart, on our knees, and just ask for God's wisdom. Pray with me as we start this morning. Lord, we are so encouraged. We do not want to go backwards in our faith. We want to go onward, moving forward. And uh, what are the things, Lord, that keep us from moving onward? Things we get stuck in. Things that keep us from uh, experiencing that abundant life that you so richly promised us. When you said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. May we examine those things in these next few weeks. Unlocking and unleashing our life to make a difference and count for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody talks about purpose. Everybody. I, I, there isn't a business that I go into that doesn't have a mission statement or a purpose statement. It's on the wall. It's on the product. And uh, it's, it's behind the statements of purpose that uh, we ask our children. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? You get all kinds of answers today. And you want to see uh, your child exceed uh, and basically, you're asking them, what's the purpose in your life? As parents, we, we work very hard to show our children and uh, to make adjustments in their life if they need to so that they can realize their full potential. When we live by our purpose or we love our purpose, we do strange things. Uh, we, For instance, if we know that our purpose... In coming back to, uh, you know, I, I play golf with some of the guys here during the summer, and some of them are back now, and their purpose in coming back to Dylan, unfortunately, I thought it was to see me and to hear some of my preaching. It wasn't. It's for they can ski. Now, they, they do strange things when, when it, they're, they know their purpose is to ski. They'll actually go out in sub-zero weather, and, 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 they'll, and they'll do that. Uh, when you know your purpose is for something and you love it, you do crazy things. I watched, at least at the beginning of the game yesterday, however many thousand people are there at uh, Sports Authority Field at Mile High, crammed in there, ready to watch the team play in just staggering cold weather. But that was their purpose. No problem. I wondered if, if we knew that our, what our purpose was for the Lord, what that would hinder us coming on a Sunday morning in sub-zero weather. Or how much rain would keep us away. I know when I pastored in California, they really are wusses out there in terms of... Having come from Minnesota, uh, they don't even, you know, uh, they'll, they'll, they won't even come to church if it's just misting out, you know. But the purpose drives us. This morning, I, I want to start with this statement. You'll see it up on the screen. How wonderful and encouraging it is to know 
that our Heavenly Father has made it crystal clear in His Word exactly what His purpose is for each one of us. In these next few moments during the sermon, I, I hope that you will make sure on the authority of His eternal Word as to the purpose for your personal life. In Genesis 1.26 it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. The first Adam, the head of the human race, was made in God's image in the realm of personality, intellect, emotions, will, so that there could be communion, fellowship, and cooperation between them. With the sovereign God, and that man would be subject to his will, which is perfect freedom. Hmm. The first Adam. It's, it's kind of almost like when we talk about that theologically this morning. Uh, we talk about the first Adam. We talk about the second Adam. Uh, think of it in terms of prototypes. God wanted to try a prototype on this earth to see if his will could be extended and he tried that, but man fell into sin and the first prototype failed. He had to come along with a second prototype, which we'll find in Adam called, and as we know, his son, Jesus Christ. But we know that Adam, the first Adam, was enticed into choosing his own way in preference to God's way. Relying upon himself. Loving only himself. And as a result, he became extremely self-centered. He never went God-centered. You know, someone said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing all the time, same way, over and over again, but expecting different results. Well, this was driving, I'm sure, our Lord nuts. Because all Adam did was become dead to God, who is the source of all life, dead in trespasses and sins. And in this condition, Adam understood this. In Genesis 5, 1, it says, When God created human beings, He made them to be like Himself. Thus He brought forth a sinful, ungodly, self-centered race. And as Ephesians 2, 1 says, that were dead because of their disobedience and your many sins. But in Hebrews 1, 3, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, here is the image of God back on earth. This time in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second prototype. God's last Adam. Our natural birth made us members of the fallen, sinful, first Adam race. But our transition from the old sinful race to the new godly race, going from prototype one to prototype two, our transition has brought us into a new birth. When we were born again through repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Acts 20, 21, we were born unto Him. And in Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, He became our life. But Romans eleven twenty four adds and says, You were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree. We became sons and daughters through adoption. In 519 it says, For as one man's Adam, that is Adam, the first prototype, disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of Christ, the second prototype, shall be made righteous. 
Well, this is powerful because our Heavenly Father is still carrying out His purpose of making man in His image. This morning, if you're going to go onward, if you're really going to go forward in your faith, the first thing we said last week was biblical faith as opposed to worldly faith. Today we're talking about God's purpose, not your purpose in this life. What is directly, distinctly God's purpose for you? Do you know that? Are you clear on that? I mean, crystal clear on that? He's not using the original prototype. The first Adam didn't work out. We're going with number two. All is now centered in the last Adam, the second prototype, in our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in 2 Peter 1, 4, it says, Being born into Him through faith, we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, I want you to get your arms around this because this is big stuff. This isn't God up in heaven hoping, you know, looking over the precipices of heaven and saying, Okay, guys, here's the rules. Here's what I want you to do. Now, you better do it. Or I'm going to be ticked. Oh, and by the way, good luck. No, you and I became partakers of the divine nature. And the Lord Jesus is allowed to express Himself through your personality. And that this poor, sin-sick, shriveled-up little world will see Jesus in you. In Colossians 1.27, He puts it this way, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the second prototype. That's the purpose. Jesus has this plan for you that He would be seen in you. No wonder they call the Holy Spirit the Comforter. No wonder they call the Holy Spirit the person who empowers you and that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. For what purpose? For His purpose, that you might live the Christian life. You see, the Christian life isn't hard to live. It's totally impossible. No one can live it. Only one person could live the Christian life. Jesus. You can't live it. Is that news to you this morning? You can't live it, so quit. Stop. Let Him live it through you. I can just see people coming to God and saying, Lord, it's so hard. It's so hard to live for You. I, I just can't do it. I give up. And I can just hear God saying, all right. Yeah, now we can get somewhere. Now I'm going to live it through You. Christ in You, the hope of glory. In 1 Corinthians 15.49, Paul gives us the heartwarming promise. As we have... Have we, as we have borne the image of the earthly Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly Christ. The question for us, do we know that? Are we thinking something else? Do we have another poor, a purpose? Do we, make, do we need to make some adjustment in our life to get it right? Wow. In Romans, in the 8th chapter, it says, and we know that all things work together for them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. 
for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I want you to go back up to that top word, no. It is not the word gnosis. It's the word edo in the Greek. And the study of the Greek can be a little helpful for us this morning. Edo simply means to perceive with the eyes, the senses, to discern, to inspect, to examine, to ascertain what must be done, what adjustments need to be made for me to get back on track. Gnosis would just be simple knowledge. But edos means I ascertain and examine with the purpose of making the adjustment to get back on track. And I ask you this morning, do you know that His original purpose of making us in His image, which is centered and expressed in His Son, is our life? In Galatians 4.19, Paul's determination for each one of his converts was, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. The open secret of healthy spiritual growth to know and settle upon this fact, as set forth in Romans 8.28, is this, When we see all things are working together to make us more and more like the Lord, we will not be frustrated and upset when some of these things are hard and difficult to understand. We think it's a win-lose deal every time. No, God is orchestrating some things around us to bring us to the point that we understand that He loves us and needs us to make some small adjustments to correct ourselves away from our purpose and back onto His. We'll be able to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and say to the Father, Thy will be done. And our constant attitude of faith, it was like Job who said, Though you slay me, I'll trust you. It's our matriculation to spiritual maturity. Second Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. It's one thing to know what God's purpose is for our life. It's another thing to know something of the how as to entering into it. Let me stop for a minute here, right here. This is important. You remember that Romans, Paul depicts, uh, depicts two kinds of man. The old man and the new man. And the old man was always tripped up by the law. Somehow that old nature just loved to respond to the law. And so God gave the law for at least four reasons. But one of the reasons was, in Romans 5.20, the law came that sin might increase. Not decrease, increase. The law activated the old nature. Now what do I mean by that? Picture in your mind going to a playground, <clears throat> and there's teeter-totters out there. You've all seen a teeter-totter. It has kind of a board on it, and then there's a fulcrum. And that fulcrum I want you to think of as a law. The teeter-totter I want you to think of as in sin. Or the spirit of the first, the, the old nature, the first Adam. Now if you pull the fulcrum out, the teeter-totter won't work anymore. 
And that's what the Bible says. Apart from the law, sin is what? Dead. Say it with me. Apart from the law, sin is dead. You pull the fulcrum out and sin dies. It is the law that activates sin in your life. Whenever you as a Christian feel that you need to do something, can't do something, must do something, you've just activated the old nature in your life. Now you have to ask yourself, what activates the new nature? Well, it's not the law. But Romans talks about the fact of what happens that activates the new nature is when I walk by the Spirit, when I center on my position in Jesus, when I understand worship in my life, when I center totally on Him, that activates the new nature. I'm going to ask you this morning, which nature do you want to activate? The old Adam or the new one? I say go with the new one. It's a lot easier, guys. And quit trying to live the Christian life. You're saying, Pastor, that sounds like heresy. No, that's biblical theology. The first Adam is dead. Only Jesus can live his life. Now, he wants to live it through you. That's God's purpose for you. But you've got to activate that new nature that's in you. That you became partakers of with the divine nature. And you know what activates it? Worship. Now, here's my point. If you know that's God's purpose, and you know that's his style, man, worship services ought to be a priority, huh? Just like good skin. It's like a great golf game. Folks, I, I, I don't know if I can make this any clearer this morning. I really don't think I can. If somebody else can do that, that's great. Hire him as a pastor and let him preach every Sunday on this. I want to say this, too, that many believers, I think it's going to come up on your slide, many believers are simply frantic over the fact of failure in their lives. And they'll go to any lengths trying to hide it, ignore it, or rationalize about it. The issue I have this morning is, why are you experiencing failure? See, the Spirit of God, when He's activated in your life, He doesn't fail. So then why are you experiencing failure? Typically, failure is about me walking in the flesh. Me trying to do it. That's the way we are as evangelicals, I think, aren't we? We come to Jesus Christ, we, we, we come to Him, and we thank Him for the grace that's given to us. And we have this nice little start of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving my sins. Oh, Lord, thank you. And then what do we do? Immediately we go, now what can I do for you, Lord? And we start building on this foundation of grace a whole bunch of works. No, as you received Him, as we understood last week, as you received Him, so walk ye in Him. It's always by faith. God is never looking for you to take credit for anything. The purpose is Christ Jesus who never fails. Rejoice, dear friend, in your need and hunger for the heart. We took eight weeks to go through the Beatitudes and you can see right now 
We're right back to the Beatitudes. And I told you, everything in the Bible can be traced back to those eight theological statements. Well, what I'm preaching on today is Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. The more that I worship, the more that I center on my position, the more my condition will be improving. But what do I do? No, I think if I'm not living the life, let's center on my condition. Let's try to improve the condition. Well, that's great. I'm glad you want to do that. But the way to do that is not through the first Adam. It's not through the first prototype. It's through the second one. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ be formed in you. That the world see Jesus in you. As we in our hopeless need consistently and lovingly look upon the Lord Jesus revealed to us in the Word, the Holy Spirit will quietly and effortlessly change the center and source of our lives from self to Christ. Hence, Galatians 2.20, not I but Christ. God has a natural law and force to the effect that we are conformed to that upon which we center our interest in love. You remember Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote that great novel called The Great Stone Face. The whole townspeople looked at that stone face all the time and wondered when the person would come who looked like that. Well, think what happened in Germany some years ago. I was there. I was a pastor there. And there were times in that little community as some of those people who are now 80 and 90 would reminisce about their days, even teenager days, under Hitler. They were fooled. They felt like fools because there was such fanatic devotion to a second-rate paper hanger. But think of our, the youth of our America today who have centered their attention on being superheroes, movie stars, sports heroes, some kind of fantasy with dark humor or evil ideas. What are the kids concentrating on? The Bible always says, you gaze at Jesus. You don't ignore your problems, but you glance at Him, knowing that the gaze is what solves the glance. Don't get your gaze and glance mixed up. We, sometimes we gaze at the problems and we just occasionally glance at Jesus. No, the thing that activates the new nature in our life is who Jesus is. And the worship of Jesus and the old nature gets stronger and stronger, or the new nature gets stronger and stronger and stronger. John McCarthy used to say it's kind of like two dogs inside your life. The one dog that's going to live in your life is the one you feed. You keep feeding the flesh, the flesh will get strong. And you'll keep experiencing more failure and failure and failure. My friend, I've got some great news for you today. Not only have you been sins forgiven, but Jesus is true in His Word. He is about to give you an abundant life if you'll go with the second prototype. And let Jesus be your life. And what about the believer? Look at this. If we are attracted to this present evil world, we become increasingly worldly. If we pamper and live for ourselves, we become more and more self-centered. But when we look unto Jesus Christ, we become more and more like Him. Norman Doughty writes this. Long quote, so hang in there with me. If I am to be like Him, 
then God in His grace must do it. And the sooner I come to recognize it, the sooner I'll be delivered from another form of bondage. Throw down every endeavor and say, I cannot do it. The more I try, the farther I get from His likeness. What shall I do? Ah, the Holy Spirit says, you cannot do it. Just withdraw. Come out of it. You have been in the arena. You have been endeavoring. You're a failure. Come out and sit down. And as you sit there, behold Him. Look at Him. Don't try to be like Him. Just look at Him. I love that. Just be occupied with Him. Forget about trying to be like Him. Instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, let Him fill it. Just behold Him. Look upon Him through the Word. Come to the Word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Oh, friends, I, I, I don't know how many times, and just let me just say this before we go to the last part of this quote. There are times where I will come as a pastor, I'll have my Bible open, I'm reading the Word, and here's the problem. All of a sudden, in the midst of me meeting with the Lord, here's what goes on in my brain. It goes like, oh boy, this is good stuff. This will preach. <laughs> and right away, I've gone from meeting the Lord to sermon prep. I know. Thank you for that groan, brother. <laughs> exactly. That's, I deserve that. And so do you. Now finish this quote. Now to get your mind crammed full of things about the sacred word, that's not the purpose. But to come to it to meet the Lord. Make it to be a medium. Not of biblical scholarship, but of fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. I love biblical scholarship. I've devoted my life to it. But that's almost in second position of just sitting in His presence. And so, we sing that great hymn, Cast Down Every Idol. Cast Down Every Foe. Now wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Ter Stegen, one of the great Swedish hymn writers, said this, you say, fit me, fashion me for yourself. Stretch forth your empty hands and be still. O restless soul, you all but hinder me by your noble purpose and your steadfast will. Please observe the summer flowers beneath the sun. In stillness His glory they behold. And sweetly thus His mighty work is done. And resting in His gladness they unfold. So are the sweetness and the joy divine. O God, my beloved, and the work is yours. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Not only does He will it, He does it. He changes your want-to-doer. Isn't that great? The more I gaze on Him, the more He changes my want-to-doer. And if I want to do something, how many of you really have problems doing what you want to do? I don't. And what if He changes your heart so you want to do what He wants you to do? That's why his burden is light and his yoke is easy. So how do you change the new nature? Dwell on him. Don't settle for academic scholarship. Just meet him. In his good pleasure, he is performing in us 
He is working everything together for this one purpose. In 2 Corinthians 4.11 it says, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Wow. Philippians 1.21 says, this is life for me to live as Christ. And this is service. And there were certain Greeks saying, sir, we would see Jesus. I remember when I was preaching in Savannah, and I was out there doing the, on the golf tour, we were at uh, Harbor, Harbor Town Links. And uh, I got to preach in the old Scottish Reform Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia. There's only two of them in the United States that I know of. And you can't preach in those churches unless you graduated from a Scottish Reform Seminary. So in order for me to speak that Sunday, they had to declare, they had to declare Layman Sunday. <laughs> And I got up there. And you, you go up into the pulpit area. You, you walk up a circular stair. And I'd be standing up here like about 12 feet looking down on you. But as you get up to the top stair and right at the front, just as you're ready to mount the pulpit, there's a sign that they had on that pulpit. It said, Sir, we would see Jesus. What a great sign to have in the pulpit. One more reminder that the people are really not looking for great orators. They're not looking for great singers. They're not, great, they're not looking for great people who love them to death. Sir, we, we would see Jesus. Because it is Jesus that transforms the life. It is that Jesus that transforms my heart. There's a little clip I want to show you. It's it's from a movie called How Do You Know? And it's a story with Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon who are... Let me just kind of set the table for you a little bit. You might not have seen this movie, so I want to give you a set the table. Reese is a softball player. She's made the Olympic team, and she's now been cut from the squad. Her whole focus, her whole life, her whole purpose has been softball. Now she's got to look to life after sports. She kind of is dating this one professional baseball player, but... There's a guy who's not athletic and has touched her heart, and he's trying to do the best he can to win her over. And she's confused and doesn't know what to do. Let's pick it up at that. Let's show the film clip. See you, Sam. I uh, got you a gift. Thanks. This is only uh, half the gift. Yeah? It, it, it doesn't work without the story. Okay. This stuff was invented by this man in central Ohio as uh, white goo. 
and he used it to um, remove soot off of wallpaper from old-fashioned heating. Mm -hmm. So as gas and electric heating came in, there was uh, no longer a need for the for the cleaning goo. Um, so you know the guy was going under. But his uh, sister-in-law, who's a nursery school teacher, now, is this a true story? The man's name was Joe McVicker. His sister-in-law was Kay Zufall. Okay, I believe you. So Kay Zufall discovered that her little kids liked squeezing the goo a lot more than hard modeling clay. So she suggested to her brother-in-law, Joe, that they color the stuff and call it Play-Doh. Hey. Nice. So... I have kept this for a long time as proof and we're all just one small adjustment away from making our lives work. You can see why I thought of this for you. Just one small adjustment from making our life work. And that adjustment is to, for you to go from what you think is the purpose to what God says is your purpose. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can see why you want. I wanted to preach this message for you today, can't you? Shake your head and say, yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Help us to go onward. Help us to go forward. Help us to uh, cause our lives to sit down and relax for a moment and rest. And ask these simple questions. Have I made the adjustment of focusing on you rather than me? Have I made the adjustment this morning of just simply spending time getting to know you and sitting at your feet and getting to know you? Have I made the small adjustment of not just coming to church to hear the Word of God, but coming to church to really center and worship you? God, I now make that small adjustment. Take my life and let it be holy, consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And may You rest in the fact that we're resting in the almighty purpose of God, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. Of this great song.